Well, welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C, Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me. And we have been listening to my good friend Mark McKay sing his song, Shimmer. At least I think I got the right title from his CD, Dakota Dust. But before I speak with him, let me read you a couple of things from the press quotes on his website. From the Village Voice. Literate and understated, subtle and charged, Mark McKay makes music that fits alongside the likes of Steve Earle and Springsteen in alt-country force. And from the Frederick Magazine, when he was interviewed by David Morreale, the quote is, Mark McKay is possibly the most accomplished songwriting son that you've never heard of, adding to the vocabulary of the American songbook. And on the telephone right now is the one and the only Mark McKay. Mark, how are you? I'm great, Todd. How are you today? I am doing well. Did I get the title right on that song? It's Shimmer, right? You did, yes. Good. What's interesting is the song Shimmer is on your Dakota Dust CD, but you have a CD by that same title, Shimmer. I do. (laughs) But, But Shimmer is not on the CD, Shimmer. Right. And, you know, I have no explanation for that other than that. Uh, I, I think that my approach to songwriting and naming things, uh, I, 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 you know, I, the, the process is still as mysterious to me as it was when I was uh, starting to write songs as a teenager. And so sometimes I play around with that uh, kind of sense of mystery or lack of clarity in, uh, in naming songs or albums and, and even writing lyrics, too. Well, you mentioned you've been writing since a teenager. What got you started in music in the first place? And then as the second part of the question, what got you into writing songs? Sure. I appreciate that, Todd. And first of all, I just want to say thank you. It's really nice to uh, to talk to you today. This has been a really, uh, you know, trying and interesting time these last few months with the pandemic and, and all of the, uh, you know, unrest and change in our society and, and the ability to kind of connect with you. We've known each other a long time and talk about such a, a beautiful thing as music and songwriting. I really appreciate it. So first of all, thank you. Well, well you're most um, welcome. I'm, I'm, I've been looking forward to this. Now, before we get into your history, are you still yeah. working in New York City? Uh, so I work for a technology company and we are working remotely. So I'm, I'm solidly in Frederick, Maryland now and, you know, working in front of my computer on, on Zoom calls and, and, um, and spending as much time with my kids as possible, which I really enjoy. So there are sure. definitely interesting upsides to this pause, as I'm sure everyone is, uh, is fine. Well, I was a little concerned knowing that you worked in New York City. I was hoping that you were telecommuting because I know that the, the city itself has been hard hit. Yeah, in fact, the, like the week before, you know, things really got clearly bad. Uh, you know, I was in Penn Station and riding the subway back to Brooklyn, and uh, we were coming down to Frederick uh, to celebrate my, my birthday, actually, with my kids in, in mid-March, and we were intending to come down for like a four or five-day weekend, and, and here we are three months later, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I definitely, I miss New York, but it's really been wonderful to, uh, to like I said, take a pause, be here with uh here with my kids and uh you know uh hopefully this whole thing starts to turn the corner soon i don't know but yeah let's talk music sounds good so how did you get into music in the beginning um i grew up in a musical home not in the sense that my parents played music but they loved music so um my sister and i um you know were exposed to a lot of my parents listened to, you know, records on vinyl all the time. My mom, uh, particularly my, my dad loved like 
uh, Chuck Berry and, you know, kind of uh, foundational rock and roll music from the 50s. And my mom loved everything from the Rolling Stones to Bob Dylan and the band. And, and I really grew up uh, listening to that um, and and not just listening to it, but celebrating it. Right. I mean, I, I remember when when it was time, my dad would always get up early to go to work and he would uh, and the record player was downstairs. He put a stack of records, you know, like you could stack them up so they drop down one by one. And he had like a, a cable that he ran from the stereo. He drilled a hole in the ceiling and the floor and it went up to uh, the bedside table and he had some headphones and he would put headphones on when it was time for him to go to bed and put a stack of records on and fall asleep listening to the records. And um, on the weekends, we'd listen to records. And um, when the VCR Betamax thing became a thing, you know, we'd watch things like The Last Waltz and um, so I, I grew up in an environment where music was celebrated. My parents let me go to concerts, probably, uh, you know, younger than I should have. But I was, you know, I think my first concert might have been uh, Neil Diamond at the Hartford Civic Center. But they took me to see the Steve Miller Band. Uh, I wanted to see Kiss with Judas Priest opening. You know, it wasn't long before I found the Grateful Dead uh, and went to a ton of those concerts and uh, ultimately Bob Dylan and all of that had a really big influence on my respect for music and my desire to, uh, you know, be a songwriter and play an instrument. So you went to see the the first concert at the Hartford Civic Center. Were you? Did you grow up in Connecticut? Yeah, I did. I grew up in uh, Simsbury, Connecticut, which is kind of a suburb of Hartford. My dad worked for an insurance company, um, and uh, it was a pretty, you know, pretty sleepy town. Um, Hartford's not a very big city. Uh, you know, they had Hartford Whalers, so there was NHL hockey, and there were uh, concerts. Well, and I worked at Allstate Insurance Company in uh, West Hartford, so. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, small world. I yep. never knew that. Now, which company did your dad work for? He worked for uh, Connecticut General, CG. Sure. So he, um, he you know, we, we lived there until, uh, until I was, I guess, 19 or so, and, and then um, they moved to Southern Connecticut, and my dad started working in New York City, and um, and I went to school in upstate New York. So that was my childhood. But I, you know, by the time I went to college, um, you know, I, I knew I had a passion for music. I had been playing in bands since, you know, eighth grade and had started writing songs. And um, I've always seen music as, uh, you know, a really simple portal to a mysterious and, and magical place, uh, whether listening to music, playing music. And, and now I've, I've got four kids and they're all musicians in their own respective ways. And I love I love sharing and exploring um, music with them, whether we're listening to it or they're turning me on to what they're listening to. It's it's really uh, really a magical thing. Now, what was your first instrument? Um, guitar. Yeah, my mom um, uh, my mom had a friend. I can't remember her last name now. Sue something, but she was uh, kind of a folk guitar player and teacher. And uh, at the age of ten, uh, she bought me uh, an acoustic guitar and started taking me to guitar lessons. And so I was, you know, from the very beginning, you know, bringing in songs like, I, I want to learn a whole lot of love. I want to learn Zeppelin. Can you teach? And she was teaching me, no, no, we're going to, we're going to learn three basic chords, maybe four. And I'm going to teach you blowing in the wind and I'm going to teach you let it be. And, I'm, and so um, I, you know, probably was drilled on open position chords and simple songs more than I wanted at that age, but I really appreciate it now because I, I see that writing a simple, powerful song is, is a lot harder than it seems. Um, and that's still the thing that, that I find most interesting in life is you know, the challenge of writing something that's 
that's profound and beautiful and, and simple. You know, I think that's, that's now, do an you interesting re- challenge. Yes. Now, do you remember what that first guitar was? Oh, that's a good question. I don't. I, I know that the first guitar might have been some kind of beater, um, but th- as soon as I was serious about a guitar, I think they, they, they got me like a an ovation. Uh, that was a thing back then, right? The it was. Yeah. And they were built in Connecticut, which was, was pretty right. cool, too. That's that's right. That was that my dad pointed that out to me. And uh, it was I remember it was tobacco sunburst. And, uh, you know, the other day we were, we were sitting in our in our home in Frederick and uh, I've got all the guitars out now because, you know, they're in one place, thankfully. And my kids are looking at them and there's a Strat and there's a Tully and there's an old Gibson acoustic and there's a Martin. And three of those four are tobacco sunburst. <laughs> they're like, Dad, do you have any preference in terms of guitar look and feel? And I'm like, I-, I didn't realize I did until I... Well, now that you you mention it, though, I have only seen you play tobacco sunburst guitars. Yeah, it's weird. And I've had had other ones. I had a Les Paul that was a tobacco sunburst. But the first real, what I call, quote, unquote, real guitar I I had, I think I was 17 or 18, and it uh, saved a couple grand painting houses in the summer, and I I bought a, a Martin in 1986. It was actually an 85, but it was new. And um, I still own that guitar today. I, I really love it. Um, so yeah, I love I love guitars. Love playing them. Love holding them. Love looking at them. Now, what is your favorite acoustic guitar? And then, what is your favorite electric guitar of the ones you own? Um, my favorite acoustic guitar is a 1963 Gibson Southern Jumbo, which is um, the one I play most often um, at shows. It's the song. It's a guitar I write on most often, um, and I bought that. Uh, used from a place in Bethesda that I think went online called Southwood Guitars. Um, and I remember I went in there maybe 10 or 15 years ago to buy an amp and I couldn't decide on an amp. And I said, well, sometimes when I have a hard time making a decision, I grab a guitar and play some chords and that helps me clear my mind. And I, 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 I grabbed that Gibson uh, Southern Jumbo and I go, whoa, I've never played anything like this. The neck, the tone. And I went in there intending to buy an amp, and I walked out with a guitar. That's kind of how it goes. Well, having heard that guitar many times, I was thinking that when we were listening to Shimmer, that that was the guitar mm-hmm. I was listening to. Yes, that's that's the foundational guitar in that track, exactly. Now, the first song that you wrote way back when you were 12, 13, 14, however old you were or however yeah. young you were, yeah. do you recall what that song was titled, or do you even remember it? You know... I was uh, I was thinking about that the other day. The first song, one of the first songs I wrote, and it might have been the first song I wrote, was a song called uh, "20th Century Blues," which I then rewrote and called "Mercedes" on uh, on the album Shimmer. Um, and so, isn't that interesting? I mean, I wrote a song as a teenager and and still kind of like it. Um, the first poem I ever wrote, though, I think I might have been like seven or eight, and that. I remember it, it, it was called The Sea, and it went, The Sea, The Sea, The Blue, Blue Sea, It Bothers Me, The Sea, The Sea. That was it. It's like really simple. And um, I remember my dad and my teacher were both like really uh, encouraging about that. They're like, wow, that's beautiful. You know, like I, I think uh, as a kid, you know, you kids, I watch my kids, they just, they, they love when they find something that they're good at or that they've done that's original, you know, and um, 
I think that was something that really blew my mind at a young age that I could create something original that we can that we we as human beings have that ability, you know. Um, and then to be affirmed for it, uh, I just I just kind of caught the bug early and kept going. Now, did you back then? Did you have any? ambition of, gosh, I want to be a musician for my life, you know, the rest of my life, or I want to be a rock and roll star or anything like that? You know, that's a funny question. I, 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 like I said, I grew up in a home where music and musicians were idolized. And then we'd watch the last waltz and my mom would go, wait a minute, this is the best line of the movie. And it's that scene where Robbie Robertson and the band, they're shooting pool and smoking cigarettes and they look kind of tired and, and, uh, and then they cut to this conversation and Robbie talks about being on the road with a band for 15 years. And he, and he pauses and he goes, it's a goddamn impossible way of life. And that struck me. My mom goes, see that you got to stay in school, get a job. I mean, I think about the privilege of that situation, you know, that to be able to grow up uh, in an environment where, you know, you're given the resources to, to pick an art and, and encourage to do it. And then also giving the opportunity to say, Hey, why don't you, you know, stay in school and have a career and have a family. You can always play music. And that's what I've done. You know, um, I've always wanted to have a family and that's been important. And I, I just realized from early, early age, it would be tough to, uh, tough to do that as a full-time musician. But I did try it as a, you know, when I got out of school, I uh, moved to Chicago for a few years and, I, I tried my hand at full-time musician for about three, four years with my sister, Christina, who also plays guitar and sings. We, you know, we made a record together. We did some touring. Um, and, you know, I just, the business of it, the the business of music really, really turned me off. Um, and I have so much respect for people. I, I work with a lot of professional musicians and I, I have so much respect for people that can make a living doing that and who, who do that. Uh, as their one thing. Um, it's just, it's an impressive, uh, and I think a really, really, uh, challenging, uh, way to live. Well, you've been successful, at least from my standpoint, looking, you know, into your life, just from what I see visibility wise, when I see you in Frederick and, and catch things yeah. online, that you've been very successful in balancing both your day job and your music life. Was that, yeah. Was that something I, just kind of, yeah, go. You know, I, I, one of the guys I played with um, in my early 20s, you know, used to say, like, being a musician is a blessing and a curse. And, and, and it's true. Like, I, I, I played a lot in my early 20s in, in bands. And, and, um, and then I had my first, uh, my first son, Matthew, and I took a little bit of time off um, from playing music. And, and I realized something was missing. You know what I mean? I, I realized if I'm not playing music and creating music in my life, I'm not really living my full life. And so I've, I've, I've kept at least a toe and sometimes my whole self in that, in that body of creative water, um, pretty much since it started. Yeah. I've, I've been pretty consistent with that. I'd say. Now I, I asked you one time, or I think I made a comment about being a nationally touring artist and you said, well, no, not, not really, Todd. I play in New York City, Baltimore, Chicago, and L.A. And Frederick, of course. <laughs> and I was like, well, that, that to me is national. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love, I mean, believe me. I mean, I, I, 
I, I love I love being in new places and um, and I love being in new places with a guitar. You know, one of my fondest memories of being in a new place with a guitar is uh, when I was in my early twenties. I had the opportunity to go to Nicaragua and travel across the country, and we were uh, in this like village one day at some kind of celebration, and there were a bunch of guys playing music with guitars, and my friends like, hey, why don't you join them? And uh, and I did, and and like automatically you know like everything that i felt about myself in that place being different being feeling a little out of place not sure what this 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 is I, who are these people we have a language barrier right and all of a sudden we're playing music together and i felt this like oneness right and um I, that's the thing i like about traveling with a guitar is you know when you go to new places um and play music you connect and meet new people and can create new things so i i, I you know, I, I hope live music makes its return soon because I definitely miss it and uh, I really miss seeing it. But I will say, like, the last couple nights, I, there's so much live music happening online right now. I mean, uh, two nights ago, I'm sitting around at home and um, there's a songwriter up in, in Brooklyn. Her name is Leslie Mendelssohn, and, and I've seen her over the years, you know, in New York and some of the places I play. And, and she was doing a, a home thing and I got to watch her and then uh, last night, Kevin Kinney was doing a thing from his home, uh, you know, from the band Driving and Crying. I, I used to love listening to him in, in my early 20s. And so it's like, it's it's pretty amazing to just like open your phone or computer and all of a sudden, like all these really talented people are performing in this intimate way. Um, I've been doing a little bit of that when the pandemic started. I, I've been doing less of it recently, but um, it's it's an interesting new dynamic, an interesting new way to share music. I, I thought it would be kind of impersonal because of the technology, but I, I think it's actually really interesting. Well, you know, you mentioned technology from a musical standpoint and the way a lot of people are performing now, but that's what you do yeah. business-wise. You're involved in technology, a technology company. Now, is that something that yeah. you studied in, in college? What was your major in no. college? I was an English major in college. And I, I think the, the reason I was an English major in college is, you know, I, I, I learned to love, I, I loved poetry and literature in high school. I was reading and um, I didn't know what I wanted to be or do. And I, when I got to college, I was like, if I can get a degree for reading books and writing about it, that sounds like a, like a really cool thing. Um, and what I learned is, you know, the value of a liberal arts. And I try to tell my kids this, right. I mean, liberal arts is like, um, you, you can't help but to develop critical thinking because you read things that are surprising, you know, um, and you have to try to make sense of them. Um, so what I, I'm not a technologist. I do work for a technology company, but I, I, I'm like one of the word guys, right? I'm an account person. So I, I try to translate uh, the needs of customers or prospective customers um, to our, you know, people in the company that uh, that provide the technology that can help them improve the way they do business. That's kind of how I've fashioned a career, I guess. Now, was it difficult for you to break into the music scene in New York? Uh, you know, I don't know that I've broken in um, even now. I, I guess the thing is, is that New York is one of those places that um, I you know, grew up fascinated by growing up in Connecticut, you're close to the city. Um, and I still have a, a really beautiful love relationship with that city. It's constantly changing, different all the time. And um, when I, 
uh, want, then I decided to start making original music and recording it. The first album I made, I, I drove up to Boston and, and recorded up there. And then when I wanted to do another one, I, I somehow found my way in touch with uh, Eric Amble, who's a producer in, in, in New York as a studio in Brooklyn. I had been playing here and there, uh, up there. And then um, when I started working with him and he started encouraging me, introducing me to people, my network kind of grew. And, um, and I just, just kept playing. You know, I, I was going up there every, you know, like two, three, four times a year. And then ultimately started working there and, and moved there. And, um, you know, I, on any given month, I don't think I play out in the city more than more than twice. Um, but I've been doing it for years, and I really uh, I lo- love the energy of it. It's still constantly changing, right? Now, are there specific venues that you go back to time and time again? Uh, yeah, there's a place called the Eleven Street Bar in the East Village that uh, my band's been. We were we were playing there monthly for years. Before that, um, we had been at this place called the Lakeside Lounge. You know, there were there were a lot of pretty cool places in Manhattan that have closed. Brooklyn's become more of a thing. I don't know what what will happen next there, but um, when the Lakeside Lounge closed, uh, one of the bartenders and a friend of mine from the 11th Street Bar said, "Hey, why don't you come around the corner and play at our place every month?" And, and so we started doing that. And the, the cool thing about that is New York City's full of rooms that are kind of a, a hassle to play. You know, they'll, they'll they'll book four bands and you play 45 minutes and you know pile your stuff in the corner and you know, here are your drink tickets and you better bring 25 people or you're not, you know what I mean? It's, it's just a grind. And these gigs, this 11th Street bar gig, uh, so cool because the owner would be like, look, you come in, you play from 9 to 11. You play two hours, it's your gig. It's a back room, sit down uh, thing. And I love it because I'm not the kind of person that likes to necessarily walk in with a set list and go, you know, here are the songs that we're going to play in order. Let's execute the set, right? Because I'm not, not trying to accomplish anything, uh, frankly, other than just immersing uh, myself with my fellow musicians in the songs. And so this thing has been an incubator, this gig. We, 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 my band is four, five, six, seven people. We sit down, and I don't even know when I sit down what we're going to open with. And, uh, and they like it that way. I play with musicians that um, I guess are are good enough and they're good listeners that um, uh, they can follow my lead. And we, we play two hours like that. And it's really freeing because um, I think the, one of the most beautiful things about music is, is uh, you don't know what's going to happen when you remove the rules. You know, when I, when I, I don't tell other people that I play with what to play. And so what happens is they bring their best ideas to the situation. And then there's this conversation happening, you know, which is, I, lately, I've been listening to a lot of jazz, and and it's like that's that's the thing, you know. When you listen to like, you know, Miles Davis or Coltrane, it's like you, you, there's this conversation happening, and you wonder like, no one could have orchestrated this. Did they compose this? This is just like, it, I'm constantly fascinated at the the kind of conversation that can happen spontaneously between musicians in a in a live setting, and that's the cool thing about that gig. And I, I sure hope it returns soon. Well, you know, I describe that type of a gig where you, you've got people beside you and behind you who are so yeah. good that they just, they can follow you wherever you go. That's a solo gig with help. It, yeah, it really is. It's, it's, it's so, it's so nice. Um, and I, and I've gotten to know, uh, I've gotten to know some really beautiful people through that process. We, you know, we started out as kind of like, you know, the basic straight up band with 
I play acoustic guitar. Eric Amble plays electric guitar. There's a drummer. There's a bass player. And then, and then I started adding things like a spoken word artist or uh, another spoken art word artist or a poet that plays piano. Um, my wife Morgan sings sometimes with us. Um, and so it's become kind of like a show, if you will. You know, um, I really enjoy it. Now, I've seen you mainly solo or with one person, whether it's a guitar player mm-hmm. or a bass player. Do you prefer solo or band work? Which 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 is your uh, favorite? I I prefer to play with other people, um, for sure. I mean, one of one of my heroes in music is Jerry Garcia, and he 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 once said the same thing. You're like I I I get bored by myself. You know, I, I prefer to play with other people, and that's not to say I don't enjoy solo gigs. I really enjoy playing solo, and I especially like you know with the Facebook live thing that's a really intimate venue to be able to just and sit down in front of a computer and play some songs quietly. It's a, you know, solo artist, I guess, but, uh, I find playing with other people really interesting. And fortunately, um, my two younger kids out of my boys, 13 and five, um, 13 and 15, 13 and five, 13 and 15, they both play guitar. And, and one of them is like really, um, disciplined about rhythm and uh and following structure and the other one is like wants to be a noise guitarist you know <laughs> and so but like when the three of us play together i i can't believe how cool it is that like we're we're starting to find those improvisational magical places together the three of us um play, you know playing guitar sometimes we'll just say hey play these three chords over and over and over again and then we'll start layering pieces on top of that and making up words it's it's a lot of fun. So to answer your question, I, I prefer playing with other people. It's it's not that I don't like doing when I if I'm gonna play alone, um it just puts a lot more pressure, I guess, on the on the song, right? Um and I tend to fall back on Dylan songs lately. I'm I've been really obsessed with Bob Dylan again. Really since I got obsessed with him in, in my early twenties, I've, I've I think at this point I'm more obsessed with it than ever. Well, your acoustic songs, the ones you perform acoustically where it's just you and maybe a little light percussion or a little bass behind, you do have a hint of Bob Dylan in you. Well, I think that's just probably because I've listened to a lot of Bob Dylan and, and you know, there's not much you can say about him. He's, he's really the ultimate songwriter. Um, and I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any of the stuff that's on his new album, Murder Most Foul, is is, is just an incredible, incredible song. And, and there's this other one called I Contain Multitudes. And, um, you know, for someone at the end of their life and career to be able to produce something so profound, it's kind of like, like those last Johnny Cash albums that Rick Rubin produced. You know, mm-hmm. it's like Johnny Cash, great career, lifelong, great songwriter and performer. And all of a sudden, at the end of his life, he's singing the songbook that mattered to him. There's something really poignant and powerful about that. And I'm, I'm hearing that in the new Dylan stuff and it's really really profound and, and, and also dark, you know, it's like, uh, Bob Dylan is a guy that's just been really good at at making beautiful songs, uh, that have the room to acknowledge that there's a lot of darkness in this world of life. Mm -hmm. Now, do you find as a Dylan fan that his, voice which of course has you know been pretty much decimated by cigarette smoke and, and just an age but i think it's more from the cigarettes and being dried dried out yeah. is it somewhat difficult to listen to him because his voice is so so poor um, um 
I don't have difficulty. No, I don't have difficulty listening. I mean, I did have difficulty. I, I went to a, a period, I guess it was in the nineties where I saw him live a lot because I was obsessed with his songwriting. Mm -hmm. And I found a lot of those live shows to be a little, uh, a little frustrating because like, I just couldn't hear what he was saying. You yeah. know what I mean? It was, it was like that, but I, I actually enjoy his voice, whether I'm listening to, uh, his most recent album, which sounds like, you know, a frog kind of singing, um, but it's still him, to, um, you know, Nashville Skyline. I, I remember Lay Lady Lay was like one of the first Bob Dylan songs I remember hearing in the car as a kid. And my mom cranked it up and she was, oh, my God, it's a beautiful song. And, and you know, you listen to him crooning on that album, yeah. Nashville Skyline. Um, he, he sounds like one person and then you hear him on blood on the track singing tangled up in blue he sounds like a different person his early 60s stuff he's like a young kid sounds like woody guthrie and now he sounds like a frog but, uh, <laughs> yeah I, I, but I, you I love yeah but you have to give him credit for the the extent of his career for yeah, sure he, he, he's a person who is interesting i was thinking about it recently you know like i think the tough thing about um being an entertainer is you really have to uh, it seems like successful entertainers create an identity for themselves. And um, I've always struggled with that piece of it. You know, like I, I never wanted to pretend to be someone that I'm not or, you know, act like a musician. You know, there are a lot of, you know, you see people that like put the hat on. Like, I, I just, I feel uncomfortable that way. And you look at him, he's a kid born with one name, changes his name, goes to New York, creates an identity for himself. And, and there it is. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? He, he's Bob Dylan. Just, just, pretty cool we're lucky to live at the same time that he's uh, alive oh absolutely now was there ever a time in your musical development where you said i want to be him was it bob dylan or and then you had a period of time where you actually tried to dress like that person or sound more like that person or is it pretty much just been you the entire time um i've never wanted to be anybody else but i i've i've, I've always noted or found it interesting the way people represent themselves right from like at the age of 10 i was like in 1978 right what was i interested in well i was like i was like wow kiss is a pretty interesting thing they're dressing up in costumes right mm -hmm. and at the same time like david always like did he start us did he start us he's creating his own series of identities um you know and then i would and then when i saw the the Grateful Dead in concert. I was, I was lucky. I saw the Grateful Dead in the, in the early eighties and Jerry Garcia comes out in a, you know, a black t-shirt and jeans. He doesn't give a shit. What do you look like? You <laughs> that's know? Right. like that, that, that's pretty cool. So I've, I guess I've, I've maybe probably taken more of that approach where maybe in the last 10 years I've, I've started to maybe try to dress a little bit nicer, but I've always been a pretty casual when it comes to you know, because I think music is, you know, what, what are we doing with music? We're trying to connect with authenticity, you know, and um, I, I, I love the fact that there are musicians that they'll get out there in the nudie suit and, and, and put the sparkly stuff on and all that. And I guess if you're playing in a big venue, that's important. But for me, um, I need to feel connected to who I am to be able to perform well. And, and um, I guess being comfortable and casual is most easy for me. Now, when, when you write, do you, do you have a theme in mind or is it just something you, a thought hits you or you visually see something and you go, ah, and then it kind of mulls around in your head for a while or do you sit down and say, okay, you know, I'm going to write a song about a staircase. 
Um, mostly it's the former. Mostly it's, you know, we're human beings, right? We're just taking in images and information all the time, right? Right now I'm sitting in my car. I'm watching a woman walk across the street with a bag. And I'm not sure what's in the bag. You know, that's curious. What's in the bag? And she's making a face that suggests she might be a little pensive at the moment. Um, you know, like I, I, I like to observe life and, and, um, and observe the natural world. And, and sometimes that's, you know, that's where I kind of start with writing. Um, I, I think the only time I've ever, maybe one or two times I've sat down and, and tried to do writing as like an exercise. Like, like I'll take, I took a word one time, uh, I was waiting right? I can't remember what I was waiting for. It doesn't matter. But the term is, the concept is I was waiting. And I go, it's an interesting song. I wonder if I could write a song called Waiting. And I did. I wrote a song all about waiting. And it was fun. You know, I mean, I've done that a couple times. It sounds a little corny. Um, but most of the time, it's uh, it's a really mysterious process for me. I, I, I try to, I keep journals. I take notes. I scribble things down. It's messy. It's not organized. I keep notes on my phone. And um and sometimes I just get hit and I grab the guitar and usually like if I'm trying to write a song, like I can try for a long time to write a song and then I'll finish it and it'll suck. And then three more songs will come and the third one will be one that I love. You know, So I don't understand the process, but I find that the more I engage in it, the more, uh, you know, the more I produce and the happier I am. Now, does the guitar itself, the sound of the guitar or the sound of the progression you're playing, does that sometimes give you the direction that the lyrics are going to go or is it more? Uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, yes. In, in the sense that, uh, I mean, I don't know that I always would have noticed that, but um, recently I, I, I bought this uh, Stratocaster from, from, you know, my friend Roscoe was selling the strap from 1983. He had played it in the, the Dell Lords and, and I, and I've always, you know, I've always been looking for a particular tone with electric guitar with a Kelly, not really able to get it. And, and uh, I brought that guitar. Every time I get a new guitar, it's not like I'm buying guitars all the time, but that that guitar, like, all of a sudden I started writing differently. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I think sometimes picking up a different guitar or sometimes you can trick yourself by, like, a different tuning, um, you know, an alternate tuning or putting a capo on, you know, anything to mix it up and suddenly make it interesting. Um, now I'm in a mode of exploration, you know, and when I'm exploring, then I get creative. And, um, but usually if I just pick up an acoustic guitar, the first thing I do is I, I start playing the working man's G chords, you know, and yep. I'm not probably going to write anything, um, impressive with that. So I, yeah, I think you're right. I think sometimes the sound of the guitar, but most importantly, like, uh, challenging our brains, you know, with new, new ways of hearing or experiencing it, that, that, that seems to work for me. Now, are you obsessive about rhyming? Or I don't mean obsessive, uh, yeah. really, but uh, like like when I write, uh, I want to make sure that the meter's correct so I'm not stumbling or trying to rush through too many syllables. Right. And I, I really like rhyming as best I can. What do you, How do you approach yeah. that? Um, I'm the same way. I, I absolutely am. And I... Yeah, someone who kind of grew up. I mean, did, I mean, did you grow up interested in songs and poetry? And is that where that comes from? Do you think? No, not so much poetry, although we had to to recite it and then write some during, I guess, more what is now called middle school. Uh, we called yeah. it junior high, and then the early first, you know, so- freshman or sophomore year of high school. But 
the yeah. no didn't write so much of that my younger brother did actually his were more haikus than than actual poetry which is but it is a form of poetry yeah. the for yeah. me it was more the listening experience and i've always been attentive or noticed when when someone is singing that ooh there was a stumble right and, and what right. it does it interrupts my reverie in the song if that makes any sense yeah I, I think I'm the same way, Todd. I, I, I think I, um, I, I've tried to to go beyond that, but it, um, yeah, I'm the same way. I, I, I tend to like structure um, and discipline to structure, um, and I think that like anything in life, you know, boundaries and structure creates freedom. You know, mm-hmm. um, if if we've got that boundary and structure, whether it's musical or lyrically. Um, then, then you've got freedom to, to play around within that. But if, if it's just chaos, right. Um, then I think it's, it's hard to create something, um, repeatable. Well, then you're into free form jazz. <laughs> right, right, right. Controlled chaos yeah, is really what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The, now, when you write songs, do you tend to write verses first and then try to struggle getting a chorus in there or does the chorus show up right away or is it an easy transition either way uh i pref- i prefer it when the chorus comes first because I-, I tend to have an easier time that way um but more often i think it's the other way around that I-, I i start with a line or two i really like and then i go okay i've got something and then i write a verse and i go okay that's one verse I think I actually understand this could be the last verse, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I remember learning how to write essays where like you write your introduction. Um, no, you write your essay, you take your conclusion and make that your introduction. Anyway, it, it, I, I think I, I more often start with verses and sometimes really struggle with choruses. Uh, that song you opened with, Shimmer is a good example. You know, the verses in that song. I haven't listened to it in a while. And those lines, um, you know, they, I don't know where they came from. They came to me and I like the way they relate to one another. And I like the, the kind of picture that they, that they present. Um, and I remember struggling with that chorus for quite a while, you know, like I never, I never, never, never feel, um, that that's easy coming up with a good chorus. Now do songs in general take a long time to complete for you? Or do they jump right out at you, and in two weeks you have a completed song? What's what's in general? How is, what's your gestation period there? Um, some songs I work on for a long time and never finish, and some songs come to me and I literally write them down finished. And and, I, and I've done that maybe a dozen. I really maybe written a dozen songs like in five minutes, and and actually they're my favorite songs. Um, and that's the thing that makes me continue to write because um, it's a practice. It's a form of expression. It's a way to kind of connect with myself in a world that, it, that has bombarded us with ways to disconnect. Right. So I, I find there's value in that, but um, I guess I, I consider it, my relationship with the muse to be just that it's a relationship, right? You have to show up for it. I show up for it. I keep writing. I keep working at it um, when I can. And then every now and then, um, you know, she amazes me and says, Here, here's one, you know, write this down. And and when that comes to me, sometimes I might be driving. Sometimes I might be sleeping. Sometimes I might be at work. I have to 
go and write it down. Mm-hmm. And if I don't write it down, it, it's gone. But um, yeah, the process still amazes me. I find it to be really fascinating. And any any creative process that that people have, I really I really respect it. And I love I love watching my kids indulge in it. My daughter is a painter, and I don't understand painting at all. But I love I love watching her create things. And um, yeah, it's cool. Now, did your kids gravitate to music? organically or because you kind of would hint and you know here try this or hold this guitar or 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 did they just pick Uh, it up because it was around them like the way you did i I definitely i definitely played guitar for them you know when they were in utero when they were babies Mm -hmm. i mean so i I, I, babies love guitars you know they put their hands on the guitar they they you know the, the, the vibrations of a guitar right to feel sound um, little children love that. And so, and then I've always had some drums around, but, um, in terms of lessons, all of my kids, I've got four kids, they all started taking piano, um, when they were little. And, um, and then, um, from there, two of them have gotten serious about guitar. One of them is kind of serious about electronic music. Um, and the other one kind of dabbles with, with everything. So I, I think, uh, combination of exposing them to music, exposing them to instruments, giving them the opportunity to take a lesson. None of them take uh, formal piano lessons now, but um, yeah, they, I mean, I, I, I'm grateful they they all love music, and and they've introduced me to some interesting uh, interesting stuff along the way. Yeah, it is interesting the because I have two boys, um, and they're style of music that they like as individuals is so yep. I mean it's like light years away from each other and yet they grew right, up in the right. same household with the same music playing and yet so you know how do you figure that yeah it's right I mean that's the interesting thing about kids they're all they're all unique and people too right people, yep. they're up, everybody's unique um, that's, that's cool now from a technical standpoint um, first of all, I I think of you. You're an extremely solid rhythm player. The and again, I've seen you perform mostly with just a guitar player or a bass player. Once I think I've seen you once as a trio, uh, where it was bass right. and a lead guitarist. The um, but the one thing I've always been impressed with was how well you maintain the rhythm and actually drive the song using that rhythm. And then occasionally throwing in little, you know, bass runs or whatever. But it's, uh, is that something that just came to you or did you work really hard at that? Uh, I guess that goes back to that first guitar teacher, right? That was drilling folk songs mm-hmm. um, uh, at me, you know, because when you're, when you're playing a folk song, you know, you're responsible for everything, you know, it's like the, the um, and, and the rhythm and the, and the basic chord structure that's, kind of a vehicle for the lyrics and the message, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, when I started playing in bands, I got great. And the idea of back then was, well, someone's going to be the rhythm player and someone's going to be the lead player. And usually I was the rhythm player, but um, today I try not to think of it like that. I try to think of it as like I'm playing the guitar and, and I might morph between, you know, I, 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 I try to kind of... Uh, do a little bit of both now. Now, in but your I'm a much better rhythm player than a, I'm not a very good lead player. 
I mean, you know, and, and actually, I'll, I'll say this, right? Like it, the song you opened with, Shimmer. Yes. That's got like that's got like the anti-guitar solo, right? Like Eric Amble <laughs> is, is a very, very good guitarist, and he can play fast, and he can play an impressive guitar solo. But I'm always impressed by people like that. They're in the studio, they've got the electric guitar. It's time for them to play, quote unquote, the solo. And they play the anti-solo. They play very few notes. And and uh, all of a sudden you realize, wow, that's like a lot. That's a much more interesting form of expression um, because there's space and there's tone. And and um, that's something I've come to really appreciate um, when listening to music is, you know, sometimes fewer notes um, are more interesting or stopping playing becomes really interesting because then you get to come in again and that's a part, you mm-hmm. know, it's... Um, well, George Harrison was the, the king of that in the early kind of the Beatles era. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. He, you know, he's a great guitar player, but yes, you didn't hear a lot of pyrotechnics from him. Right, right, exactly. I, I, I think that's absolutely right. And, and you listen to Dylan's band, uh, and, and there's, uh, there's a lot of that too. Everything is there to serve the song. Correct. And um, I, I tend to prefer to play with people that take that approach. Now, from a from an acoustic guitar standpoint, what string gauge do you play? Uh, I use the D'Addario Blues, right? So what is that? 10 or 11? I'm not even very good at remembering that anymore. Yeah. And I, gauge. Uh, yeah. Electric guitar, I play heavy gauge strings. I, I like to have some resistance uh, with the electric guitar, but acoustic, it's medium. medium okay. Right. And what do you play thickness-wise on your picks? Are you a thin pick guy um, or a thick guy? Uh, usually medium and... Occasionally, I'll find it interesting to go to a light pick for certain songs. Um, certain songs where I'm kind of providing that percussive strumming. You know, if it's going to be a real consistent percussive strumming thing, then that's going to be a thinner pick. But I'd say 75% of the time, I'm using more medium pick. Now, do you ever strum or play bare fingers? Uh, rarely. Um, not very good at it and um i i tend to screw like i i I, i've got a really strong uh right hand when it comes to rhythm Mm -hmm. and as soon as i put a pick down and start using my fingers that falls apart um so i i I do it sometimes maybe for like part of a verse just to kind of get that that sound of your fingers on the string um because it makes a nice a nice transition. It's different, but um, I'm not a very good finger picker. I actually, I just picked up my son from Taekwondo. He's a really good finger picker, and I'm always amazed. Like, what? How, yeah, how, how did, did you he learn, learn to that? Do that? <laughs> right? How did How did you learn to do that with your fingers? I mean, it's, it's, I'm really impressed by finger pickers. So, is he in the car with you now? He is. He just came out and got in the car, and we're actually on the move while we're talking. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't. Airpods. I did Airpods. not hear the car um, noise or the 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 uh, door slam or whatever. Well, I will let you go then, but I do want to say this has been probably the longest conversation I've ever had with you. I, I think you're right, Todd, because we're, we're usually, we're booking a gig, we're talking about the gig, or I'm calling you to ask if I could borrow a mic stand. <laughs> so, uh, I, I appreciate everything that you've done and that you continue to do for the music scene here in Frederick. It's really impressive. Uh, you're a real selfless guy in terms of like, uh, you know, putting the music first and getting as many people out there playing for as many people who want to listen to it as possible. I, I just think what you do uh, is vital to our humanity in this community. So thank you. 
Oh, well, you're most welcome. I, I have fun doing it. I can assure you. The, um, yeah, you're good at it. You can tell you're good at it. Oh, well, thank you very much. Well, this has been terrific. The, uh, really quickly, what's, if things open back up, what's the future hold for Mark McKay and music? I'll continue doing what I'm doing, right? I, I think they, I hope I hope there'll be an opportunity to play in Frederick on a consistent basis, and I'll certainly be playing in New York on a consistent basis. And uh, I have enough new material to make another album, and that's my intention. Um, I'm not sure when that's going to make sense, but um, I'm still writing, and um, you know, my my objective is to continue to become as as good at that as I possibly can as long as I'm walking on this earth. Well, I hope to get to hear you in person soon. I've always enjoyed great listening talk. to you and watching you, and uh, and this has been great. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. It's a it's a warm summer day. You too. Thanks so much, Todd. I appreciate it. Have a good one. All right, Mark. Thanks again. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. Well, that was Mark McKay, and if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about Mark, you can go to his website. It's markmckayband.com. And McKay is spelled M-C-K-A-Y. So markmckayband.com. If you have listened to Mark or seen Mark before and you enjoy his music, you'll agree with me probably that he's a terrific performer. Very easy to listen to. He's one of the favorite performers at some of the local venues here in Frederick. And he told me an interesting story one time about selling CDs because he has multiple CDs. uh, And you'll see that when you, I think he's got five, five or six. But he was bemoaning the fact, like many of us in the last, say, six or seven years, that CD sales had really dropped off. And he couldn't figure out a way to sell CDs at his gigs. And one night at the Frederick Coffee Company, I don't know whether someone had a basket who was there or he used one to bring some of his paraphernalia to the gig. But he threw a bunch of CDs into the basket and he said to the crowd, he said, you know, thank you so much for coming I'd love you to take home some of my music. That would be terrific. I'm just going to pass this basket around with CDs in it. If you'd like one, please take one. If you want to throw some some dollars in there, that's terrific. You're not obligated to, but I'd love you to take home my music. So he started the basket off to his right or left, jumped into the next song, and about three or four songs later, the basket makes it back to the the stage area and it's completely empty and it's full of cash. And he said, Todd, I made more money selling those CDs that way by anti-selling than I'd ever done before. And I don't remember what he used to sell his CDs for, whether they were $15 or 12 or 10, but he said, when I counted up the money and divided it by the number of CDs I put in the basket, everybody overpaid for the CD. And what it was, some people put 20 bucks in, some did five. Somebody didn't put any, somebody put 30 in. So great way to do it. He's, uh, as you heard in the interview, he likes to take music when he gets on stage with his, his band to without a, a set list and just to see how it all falls out. And terrific entertainer. I do enjoy him so much, and what a wonderful conversation. We're going to follow up the show with his song, Long Lost Louise. It's off his live CD called Live from the Memory Hotel. And thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time. Sing me an old 
country lullaby Sing to me please I am no stranger to you Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series like I am, please feel free to share the link, wispymopmusic.podbean.com. And Podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N. So wispymobmusic.podbean.com or you can find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Get on now, run some, they're coming on. Tell your mama, remember me. My daddy died on an oak tree. Frame by an endless sky A boy's voice called over the sweating hills A pickup was rolling by Green barns and green grass and lies Horses bark to the sun Break lights and dust in the distance Our shotguns have only begun And a woman, she hides in the tall grass She knows no words, only mystery Sometimes she sings through the breezes Of the old Warm and spring 
Sometimes she sings through the breezes of the old. 